Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading for today is from Acts 1, 1 through 8. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. When you have heard me speak out, for John baptized you, baptized with water, But in a few days, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set out by his own authority. But you will receive power when when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The word of God. Well, good morning, church family. My name is Mark. I'm the pastor here. And it's a joy to be with you. I've been thinking lately about the moments that mark my life uh, as I've just been, been reflective a little bit lately. And I've been thinking about uh, who really shaped and formed me. And there were the people who chose to just be with me. I have small memories of times with people who were close with me. Uh, for my mother, I look back at, at times with her in the sweet moments of just being together. When I was in middle school, for whatever reason, my mom started inviting me on her walks. And she would put on her purple velour sweatpants outfit. And we'd walk the neighborhood, and I, sh- I began to realize that this is the only time where I was actually talking to my mom. So we had this sweet rhythm of just going and taking walks. My dad and I have a really sweet relationship, a typical father and son relationship where sometimes it's hard to know how to be together. But the way in which my father was with me in my life was he was known as Coach Jack. This is the hat that Coach Jack wore when he coached my baseball, my t-ball, my soccer, my bat. Like, he he was a part of my life because he was with me coaching along the way. Now my son wears this around my neighborhood as he is also named Jack. I also think about about to my life and the significant moments of my life. One comes to mind when our daughter Dylan, who's now 10 and healthy, but we found out she had uh, epilepsy. She was having these seizures, an incredibly scary moment. And I started, when we were in the hospital, during all of this, when our lives were kind of falling apart, uh, people were texting me like, hey, how are you doing? Can I show up? What you, what's, what's going on? And I remember Jen and I just kind of sealing the walls around our life. And just with the confusion and fear and the chaos we were feeling, it just felt like something that we just needed just to hunker down in. And then Luke found out what hospital we were in. And he showed up. And he showed up not with beautiful cliches to say in moments of pain, he showed up and just sat there with us. When I look back at my life, those important moments that formed and shaped me, there is this common thread of just people 
being present, being near, being with. That idea of being near has been in my mind lately also because the series that we are in, or getting close to concluding, as we're looking about our relationship with the Holy Spirit, there are many different characteristics that we could use to describe God, that God is like all-powerful and all-knowing, God is everywhere, but there's this little spoken of characteristic of God that is crucial to understanding who God is. And it is, for me, one of the most fascinating and surprising characteristics that we see in God. And it's God's withness. I know that withness is not a word, but it's true. Like, again, this is who God is. God is a God of withness. God has this desperate longing to be with humanity. You could look at the entire story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation as this depiction, this revelation of God's longing to be with humanity. So I just want to do a quick overview of sorts. Are you guys okay with that? Okay. Let's put on our big biblical mind if you can. Recall this if you're newer to the Bible. That's fine too. I think this will be meaningful for you well. The story of a life with God begins in a garden where where God was with humanity in this unbroken, beautiful connection, this union. And from the beginning, it was clear that God designed it for humanity to be be with God. There's even this tragic moment where, when God was looking for humanity and he was walking in the cool of the day, like he just put on his purple velour outfit and he wanted to go on a walk with Adam and Eve, yet they were hiding. They did not want to be with. And so because of that choice, because of that brokenness, intimacy and nearness was fractured and, and they were cast out. And you can imagine that could be the end. That was with the stories of all the different gods of that known of that age. Is that's when the relationship turns. But God could not shake God's longing to be with humanity. And so the story shifts into a different gear. And God begins this ever-enduring, never-ceasing pursuit of humanity. Banished from the garden, how was God with humanity and the world? Well, God chose to be with the world through a family. Abraham was chosen to create a family. He was asked to go out on one evening and look at all the stars, and this promise was given to Abraham from God that this will be your descendants. One day, your family will become a nation, and it is through your family that you will be a light of the world revealing who I am. So God was close to humanity through uh, what was going on through this family. That's how God was displaying who God was, God's nearness to be known. And this family did grow to become a people, but tragically they were enslaved in Egypt. God was with them, though, in captivity. And God delivered them and led them through his faithful presence. God led them through the sea and in the wilderness. How did God lead them? Fire by night and cloud by day. God's presence was with them, like teaching them to follow and be near God and trust in God. This was God's new withness with the people. And so God did lead them. They eventually went to a land that God promised would be flowing with milk and honey. And it was there that God's nearness took on a new form in in the way of having a land, a king, and a kingdom. But more importantly, 
through a temple. And within the temple, people would go to the temple just to be close to God, to have this nearness. They would go on these pilgrimages and treks and to celebrate God's presence and nearness. And even within the temple, there is this place called the Holy of Holies where people believe that God's powerful presence and, and, and his withness was kept within there. And only once a year could one priest go into that place. This is how they understood that God was now with the people, which is great until everything is taken away. And so the people turned from God and from God's ways, and outsiders came and destroyed the temple, took the people away. And this was so disorienting because all of a sudden the way in which they experienced closeness and withness with God fell apart. And they began to wonder, are we just completely lost in this foreign land? And then God began to display that his withness would not be just encapsulated within a temple. And what we see is the withness of God would not be stopped and God's relentless passion would be uh, always be with his people. So all through the Old Testament, we see God's passion to be with God's people. And God's witness would not be satisfied, though, by a cloud or by a fire, by a family or by a temple or by a king. It would not be enough. It is the passionate, relentless witness of God that sent Jesus to this world to be with humanity. And Jesus, he took on a specific name when he came here. And it's this name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. That God is now with us in Jesus, in flesh and bone. God with us in pain and loss. God with us, all powerful and merciful. God's now with us, walking with humanity once again, restoring that relationship. People could finally hear the voice of God, experience the healing touch of God, because now God is now with us, and we could see God face to face, and lives were changed because people we're near God again. Jesus came and changed this world, not from a distance, not from the holy of holies, but there, dirtied feet walking with humanity in the midst of their needs and their regrets being transformed by Jesus' witness. But then Jesus started saying some surprising things. Emmanuel, God with us, he needs to leave. And everyone protested. No, we, that's not what we need from you. But Jesus said this in John 16, very truly I tell you, it is good for you that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate or the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. People did not like this idea. They wanted Jesus to stay with them. They didn't want Jesus to leave because they didn't understand God's passion to be with humanity wasn't going away when Jesus would go away. And God's passion for his witness was not just satisfied by having one person in Jesus, the Christ, walking with humanity. His longing was for more. So I want to talk about corn, because that's the obvious next step, right? Do you know how many kernels are on one cob of corn? Uh, and by the way, when I told someone I was going to talk about corn today, they were very upset that I'm not playing the corn song. The kid that was like stopped and asked about corn, I don't even know what this is. I guess I'm getting old. Could someone tell me, what is this corn song about? Okay, no one wants to say it. No one knows it. 
You're now embarrassed of it. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Now, how many kernels are on one cob of corn? So I've done a little research here because what else am I going to do with my life? Uh, people like corn, though? Are we fans of corn? Cream corn? Rudy's cream corn? Popcorn? This one I know about popcorn is like, everyone's like, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of it, but if you smell it, you're like, I'm going to get some of that popcorn, right? Everyone likes, how about uh, corn pops? Anyone is still eating a bowl of porn, corn pops in the morning? Nobody? Nobody? You would. You would if it was there in your breakfast table. I bet you would. Or you just steam it up, slap some butter on it, and just enjoy it like it should be, right? Um, okay, so a, a, a cob of corn has around 800 kernels on it. 800 kernels. Now, we could take that cob of corn, you know, we could boil it, get it ready, enjoy it with one another. I'd even cut it up and we could all have a couple kernels. Or we could take those kernels and they could be planted. Now, usually one seed, one kernel, if it's planted and it grows and it takes fruit, it'll actually produce two cobs of corn. That's a good return right there. So let's see here. One cob equals 800 kernels on average. So if you were to plant one of those 800 kernels times two, how many kernels would you get after that? So one kernel planted would bring about 1,600 kernels. Now, what if, thought experiment here, what if we took all of those kernels and they were scattered and planted and watered and nurtured and could grow? How many kernels could we get from that? Here we go. 1,600 kernels would bring about, yeah, around 5,120,000 kernels. That's a lot of corn, people. That's a, that's a good amount of corn for us. Could we put down 5 million kernels? Probably not. We would try our best. But what if, let's keep going with this thought experiment. What if we took those 5,120,000 kernels, scattered them, sown them, watered them, nurtured them, had sunshine on them, and they were to grow up and be harvested? How many kernels would that lead us with? It would lead us with, yeah, that 5 million would lead us to 1,638,400,000 kernels. That's a lot. But what if, what if we were to take that 1,638,400,000 kernels, scatter them, sow them, plant them, water them, nurture them, what would, could take place from that? Yeah. Three, because a billion that's a lot. No. This 3,932,160,000,000 kernels could grow. Now, what's the point of doing this other than showing off my Aggie math? I want to show you that in four generations, one seed went over three trillion. Three trillion. And this could go on and on and on. When Jesus was getting close to his death, what he called his hour, this is what he said to try to help his followers understand what was taking place. This is in John 12. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, to die, to give himself, be lifted up. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only one seed, a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus spent his days displaying his relentless pursuit to reclaim God's witness in this world, and the cross was in the way in which that seed of God's witness would be planted in this world. The cross was not just a way to 
appease an angry God. It was something very, very different. It was a way to take the nearness of God and see that multiplied again and again and again. It is good that I go because that is how a seed becomes more than a seed. And days later, after saying these words, Jesus would be fixed upon a cross and he would spend his very final breaths continuing with that ministry of witness, even looking at a criminal who is about to die. And Jesus struggled to breathe to say these words, today you will be with me in paradise. Think of the ministry, the kindness, the mercy it would have been on your final moments, dying in disgrace and hearing the voice of God saying, today you're gonna be with me in paradise. It's the very heart of God, very heart of God, God's longing and passion that's saying the story is not done, you are going to be with me. And in that tomb, the seed was planted, Jesus died, but the witness of God was not done. It just appeared to be done. And later on, Jesus, he came to the disciples to make some promises after he was resurrected, after that seed could not be held back by, by the land, by death, by defeat. He would not be held back by that. And so Jesus came once again and He began to do a couple things. He gave promises and began to breathe the Holy Spirit into his followers. And once the resurrected Jesus, he found his disciples who were confused and afraid. And this is what he said in Acts 1. We heard this recently. Jesus said this, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling them to stay put right here. Wait, wait for the gift. And what is the gift that Jesus was waiting to give, excited to give? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's coming. And it's gonna baptize you. It's gonna fill you. Every inch of your being will be filled by God's presence, this Holy Spirit. And then they who were gathered around him asked him, Lord, are you going, at at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They only stood understood God's witness with this idea of king and kingdom and nation. But something much more was going on. God's witness was about to do something much bigger. And so Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all the Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Jesus didn't want to return to what was. He wasn't going back to what was. It was new wineskins for some new wine that was about to be poured out. The Spirit was going to do something else. The gift of the Spirit had a greater purpose. It was to give people power to do something really, really, really important. And it's to bear witness. Not in just Jerusalem, but in the very ends of the earth to go and bear witness it's interesting, I, just to kind of pause right there, I grew up in a tradition where when we talked about Jesus' commandment when he came back, we always talked about Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go and make disciples, teaching and baptizing. It's interesting for me how that, in some ways, this might feel like a tangent, I don't think it is, but it feels like that has fueled a lot of uh, colonialism in the world. Like our job as Christians, especially American Christians, is to go and make 
Christians just like us. And I, I pause here because we find Jesus giving a different kind of commandment. And here, what is the commandment that's kind of like countercultural for us? The, command, the commandment is this. Wait. <laughs> Not go, but wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit to fill you and form you. And then go, not to make, but go just to bear witness. Bear witness of how the Holy Spirit is like already at work in all these different places, even in the places you don't want to go. God is at work. God's witness is at work. So you are called to go and just bear witness to that. That fuels a very different posture as we are called to go uh, as followers of Jesus into this world. And for me, I've been thinking a lot of that. What does it mean for us to bear witness as God's people? To have a deep awareness of God's presence as we wait for the Spirit to fill us before we go and look for God's presence in this world. So Jesus, Jesus told them to not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the Spirit. And they waited and get a load of this. I love this part. I can kind of nerd out about Jewish stuff because I think it's really fascinating how our shared traditions kind of come together. The Holy Spirit came and fell on the disciples on a particular day, a day called Pentecost. That's not a Christian day only. That's also a Jewish holiday called Shavuot. My friend Sandy Kress, who's a Jewish scholar, has taught me much about this. Uh, and our shared holiday that we have is Pentecost and Shavuot. People from all over the world in that, in that uh, region would come to Jerusalem to celebrate something in particular. Shavuot was celebrating something profound. It was harvest time. So people were gathering there to celebrate that once a seed was only a seed, but a harvest was coming. And so these Jewish people from all over that region had gathered in Jerusalem. And on that harvest day, the same spirit that was in the fire and the cloud, the same spirit that prophesied over people like Isaiah and Ezekiel, the same spirit that was on Jesus and filled and fueled Jesus, it fell on those disciples. And such a commotion took place that a crowd gathered around that building. And I love what took place, that these people were now empowered by the Spirit to speak different languages, and they were bearing witness to what was taking place in these different languages. Why this is important is from the very beginning, their job was to wait, to be filled with the Spirit and bear witness to the very ends of the world, and it was happening on day one. People from all over that area would hear people saying in their own language, their own native tongue, that God was near. That God was near. Can you imagine how powerful that would have been to know like, oh, this is for me. God is with me here now. The release of the Holy Spirit for me is the culmination of God's witness. This is why this is so important for us. It is the culmination of God's witness. Instead of God being in one man 2,000 years ago, that was God's version of being with humanity. Now God is within you, in you. God is within you, in you. The same spirit that was at work to raise Christ from the dead is now within you, in you, within me. And for generation upon generation, we have experienced the witness of God that goes beyond borders and languages 
goes beyond divisions and tribalism. We are now filled with the Spirit to experience the withness of God so that we can go into the world and bear that that withness is there as well. For better or for worse, the primary, but not exclusive, but the primary way in which God is now present in the world is through the church, through us. That was God's great design for better or for worse. On our glorious days, it's a good idea. On our worst days, we have a lot to work on. And the question is, are we living like that? Are we living like we are God's faithful presence in this world? I think we need to reorient our thinking of what it means to be church if we have that in mind. I mean, that's a different way of thinking of what it means to be church. I studied underneath a theologian by the name of David Fitch who uh, talked about this phrase, faithful presence. For those who were with us during COVID, when we were streaming a service by myself in the office, I interviewed this guy, David Fitch, uh, for one of our services, for those who've been around a while. But I loved how he talked about faithful presence, that the church is to experience God's faithful presence and embody that faithful presence in this world. And the way in which he talked about it was three, three different uh, expressions of what does it mean to be faithfully present in the world. The first expression, and this is all about how to be church, okay? This means we're talking about, about how to be followers of Jesus as we are filled with the Spirit. The first expression of it is this intimate circle. This is the church's practice of worship. Why in the world do people gather every Sunday for a sing-along and for a spiritual TED Talk? Why do we do this? Well, friends, there's a lot more going on. We gather here to remember and recenter our lives on God's faithful presence. We remember God's withness and that in that nearness, in that closeness to God's presence, we will remember it, we then pray. We worship, we thank God. We recenter our understanding of community with that. We actually come to God's faithful presence in communion. This is why we do this is because we need to practice God's witness. And I'm afraid that we have to reframe why we do this Sunday thing that we do because we live in such a consumeristic, content-heavy society. That's why, in part, we don't use the stage up there to have worship. Uh, to the chagrin of some people. That's why I don't want to go up there. It's because I don't like anything that reinforces hierarchy or performance. We, as the leaders of this church, we are not here to serve you spiritual goods and services for you to consume. We are not here to provide content for you uh, where you, are, you have this role as a consumer. There is a deeper need. We hope to create a space where we encounter the nearness of Jesus. And that is the focus of our hearts and our minds. So you are not here as a consumer. You are definitely not here as a critic, I hope, because you might have a lot to criticize. You are here to be a participant, to participate in the witness of God as we center our community upon God's nearness. Furthermore, we do this Thing, the Sunday thing to reject and refute the rampant individualism that we have in our culture. 
We say God is with us, not just God is with me. We have made so much of our faith life and this individual salvation project that we have with God, but what is most commonly found in Scripture is not God's witness is a communal experience, something we encounter together, not just individually. So in this sacred hour of worship, we attend to the presence of Christ in Scripture, in sacrament, in community, in worship, so that we can be trained to look for that faithful presence in the rest of our lives, in the rest of this world. That is the intimate circle. The second is the dotted circle. Um, back to the intimate circle. I'm just riffing here a little bit. But I've, I've wondered if our worship should make sense to the world. This is something I'm wrestling with. Like, there's been such a seeker friendly model of being church where we try to make it um, like let's just play some Coldplay music and then every once in a while put like a worship song in there and I don't know I've just been struggling with if that should make sense because like this whole idea of bearing witness to, to the nearness of Christ is a weird thing and I think the more we make it palatable and normal I feel like we kind of lose that anyways okay the second thing is the dotted circle which for me is what we do when we gather in groups smaller groups we do this because we need a space to practice all the different one another's we find that this this is a place where we can i like the idea of calling it a, a community of mutuality that it is in this place where we can encourage each other admonish each other pray for each other forgive each other challenge each other and host one another we do this to build up each other because we believe that it's really important to have significant friendship as we follow Jesus together because we remember Jesus' promise where two or three are gathered, I am with you. I'm with you. This is God's faithful presence in community. And so uh, those who have been in small expressions, you know this though, that it's beautiful and it's wonderful, but when you get into a, a smaller expression of being church, it also gets really messy. It gets difficult. It gets challenging because all of a sudden when you do the different one another's in life, that conflict and division can come up. You get into the reality of people's lives. But it's there that we invite the Spirit's presence and leadership into our differences and into the otherness of the community. We practice this mutuality where we share sufferings and despair. We share the challenges of our life. I've often said that when you choose to link arms with a group of people and go through life, know that you're going to experience more suffering than if you were to go alone. But when it's your turn to go through suffering, you aren't alone. That's the beauty of being in that circle where we're mutually hosting one another. We are experiencing that mutuality. And it's in that that we experience the nearness of, of Christ. One of the great honors as a pastor is the privilege to be invited into people's pain. Around 17 years ago, I was starting off as a pastor here in Austin, and every once in a while, I'd be called into a hospital to visit someone who's really suffering. And I used to go there, guys, and there's a, like, try to find that clergy parking spot, which is, like, really convenient, and I'd be looking for that clergy parking spot in the, in the hospital parking lot, and I'd be rehearsing what I was going to say. I'd be, like, getting my little sermonette, ready? Right, where are the passages I can share? How can I bend this towards words of hope? And I would get really nervous, like you might, like walking into a room not knowing what was going on there. It took years for me to realize that what my role is, is just to be there. Just to be there in the suffering, 
to be present, to be faithfully present in that room, to feel the pain and just be near. Because you know what it's like when you're going through something and someone just gives you a cliche, something they, they've rehearsed and you're like, not helpful. But true friends just sit with you. And it's in the, that sitting with and being with that Jesus is near. So yes, it gets really messy, but it also gets really beautiful when we share our lives in that dotted circle with one another. And what I think and I hope and I pray for our church, the Vine, is we do that with a fellowship of difference, though we might not agree on everything, though we might be coming from different backgrounds and different experiences, but when we come together, we experience a unity that our algorithms on our phone don't understand like that our community, our faithful presence in that middle circle becomes how we witness to this world. So we not only look for God's faithful presence in our worship or in our smaller communities of mutuality, but we also do this in that half circle. That half circle is where we most directly engage with the world, where we have been filled with the Spirit to go, and we learn to breathe the Spirit in deeply so we can go into this world prepared to bear witness to the closeness that God has for all. That should inform the posture that we take towards this world. Our job as Christ followers is not to distance ourselves from the world, it's not to accommodate to the world or oppose it with disdain and judgment. Instead, we draw near to this world out of the compassion and the love of Jesus. And I think this is crucial, that we go into that last circle, and our role there is to be a guest. I think Christians, we don't know how to be guests well. We create like spaces, and we invite the, the world into our space, and that has a lot of control. It has a lot of like our turf, our terms. Instead, what, it, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ is we go and we learn to be a guest in this world. One of the ways to do that is to become a regular. Not like a, you know, like a bowel movement regular. I'm talking about like when you consistently go to the same place to be hosted for, in somewhere in society. So that could be a coffee shop, like a local coffee shop or a soccer field or a dog park or a cafe. And it's more than just showing up. You do so to be known, to be relationally available. We show up not to change, not to have that sermonette ready, that track ready, or that wait for that moment to strike. But instead, we go there just to bear witness to the spirit of Jesus who is at, who's present. That professor, David Fitch, he sought to become a regular at a particular place where he lived in Chicago. He started going to this really kind of grungy dive bar it was along the train stop there in Chicago, and it was a very blue-collar place. He would go, and people would get off work, and he became a regular there. And before entering uh, David Fitch, he would share a prayer that some pastors and some priests say over the communion table. It's called the prayer of epiclesis. And it's a prayer that the pastor would say that, God, make this common, ordinary elements, and by your spirit, May we begin to see your nearness, experience your sacred presence, even though this is a common place, a common table. May we know that you are near. But he would say that over this bar, this dingy bar at 5 p.m. And he would say over the bar as he was going in, God, make you, may you take this common, ordinary place and make it holy ground. Would you help me see your sacred presence, your, your nearness with everyone here? And give me a, an ability to be attentive, 
to moments to bear witness to your nearness and your presence. And he said that story after story, I heard several of them, story after story of how just being present, open-hearted, just being attentive to the Spirit of God changed everything. What would it be like for us to live that out? For the places, that half circle where we are living, where we are being hosted by this world for us to, before we enter into that workplace and our home, before we enter into our classroom or whatever that place is, for us to say, God, just help me be attentive to your presence. Turn this common and ordinary space into holy ground, knowing that you are here, that you're with us, that I can experience your closeness and your nearness. Think of the power that is released when we begin to reorient our lives around the nearness of God, not only in that, but also in your small groups and our communities of mutuality and and here in our worship, think of how different it would be if we reoriented our lives around the nearness and the withness of God. Before we can go to bear witness in this world, we need to know that God is with us. Get with us. I want to conclude with this. A couple years ago, a hero in the faith, someone who I hold with high regard, Eugene Peterson, he died. He wrote many books that have influenced a lot of us, and he also transcribed the Bible into what's called the message, which has been really, really helpful in my own life. At his funeral, his son said that his father played a great trick on everyone. For 30 years, he preached every week and wrote books, and everyone thought that he was deeply insightful and have a new thought every Sunday. But his son said, but my father only had one lesson and it was a secret that the son held for 50 years and he was let in on. He said for 50 years, his father prayed only one prayer over him and it was always the same prayer. God loves you. God's on your side. God's coming after you. God's relentless. For 50 years, this father would pray that over his child. God loves you. God's on your side. God's coming after you. He's relentless. This is no cliche. It's no hollow statement. We gather today to remember this truth that God has been and always will be fully present with you. God has done everything everything to prove this to you and the spirit that you're breathing in right now is just one more reminder that God is with you. God is with you. That God is with you. That God's with you. This is the very nature of God. This is the deepest reality of our life together. So Holy Spirit, I pray that we would understand that in a deeper way. I pray that you'd give us attentiveness to recenter our life around you, that we would know of your nearness and your presence with us. And I pray, Spirit, that you would teach us to be attentive, to bear witness in this world, not to change this world, not to alter it, but just to know that you are there. Friends, I want to invite you just to have a moment with God, just inviting God's witness for you to be aware of that again and to ask for it for you to experience the presence and the nearness of Christ even now. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.